everyone, I'm Evelyn and I'm Lara. We are the host of Once Upon a Niger podcast where we take you down history lane as we break down stories about people, places and events in Nigeria's past and present. That's right, in every episode we will take you on a journey of our own discoveries as we feed our curiosity and connect with our heritage. Join us to figure out how the chronicles of the past can help write tomorrow's tale. to continue the intro that's been going on i'm sounding like some really rubbish trumpet right now listen let's just jump into it how are you i'm i'm doing well i'm i'm doing well speaking of like trumpets and stuff i'm looking in the corner they're just collecting dust are you learning i can see that i can see your piano is the piano yours listen my my ambitions and my aspirations is just what you see (laughs) yeah no i I do have a ukulele in the corner. Yeah. That I did start okay. playing a few years ago. What inspired you? To- I just, I, I've never been able to actually play a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. So I started taking lessons. This was before, this was before lockdown. Oh wow, since Bef- like a century ago. I know, I know, <laughs> yeah. But before lockdown, I started taking ukulele lessons. I just wanted, and it's a really instrument Yeah. to start playing. So I can play a few chords Okay. And then I can get people to sing along to something. I can nice. play. Uh, what can I play? I can play. Don't stop believing. <laughs> wow. I can she play. Oh, maybe for the next episode, you play us something. How about that? Show us what you got. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. Maybe find some some classic Nigerian song and play some chords. Mm. For that. Mm, that'd be nice. That would be uh, nice. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the translation will quite work to the instrument, but you never know. You never know. Listen, effort. You get yeah. you get A for effort. A for effort. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I I I've got a guitar, which I bought at university yeah. many years ago. Uh, well, I had to choose between a guitar and a piano, and the piano. And I thought a guitar is more mobile; you can move it around with you, yeah. and, you know, all that stuff. And I had to get a left-handed guitar because I'm left-handed. You're left-handed. What? Are you just discovering this? What? <laughs> this is more interesting than talking about the instrument. What are you talking about? You're left-handed. Yeah. The wow. words of a Nigerian child. Listen, I was just about to say, <laughs> be, wow. Be left I was like, this must have been stress growing yeah. up, you know. So now I call myself ambidextrous, not because so I write I, <laughs> by fire, by, I, by fire, by, because I use my right hand and I use my left hand. However, my left hand is more dominant. So the only thing I use my right hand for is for writing, and I believe that stemmed from when I was younger in Nigeria and in school. Yeah, you had to be, you know. And I think everything else was just like my parents had more control of it at home, so nobody yeah. could tell me anything. Yeah, so no, I'm left-handed. And even in secondary school here, when we had like music classes, and I wanted to, I think I was always attracted to like the guitar, and I would carry it one way, and my teacher was like, "This looks odd," <laughs> and then she would she would flip it the other way, but it was just not comfortable. And I don't know how she didn't realize Miss George Allen, how she didn't realize that. <laughs> 
actually it was her name i think miss georgia it was my wow. IT teacher but anyway no i think her name was kirsty you're just right. you're <laughs> no well nobody knows what, yeah anyway yeah so she just kind of gave up on me because you know she couldn't like but it was that uni my friend who also plays the guitar she was like no lara you need to get a left-handed guitar because you're playing the chords like upside because with a, with a normal guitar yeah. with a right-handed guitar everything is like upside down isn't it so i was the way I was holding it, I was holding it the left-handed way. Yeah. So I was playing it the, the wrong way. That is so... Yeah, wow. so then I had to get one where I, I could... It was actually made for left-handed people. Hold on, but, but hold on. It's, did you, you did know that you were left-handed, right? Yeah, but I didn't know there was a difference between left-handed guitar and a right-handed guitar. I just oh, thought I could pick up a guitar and oh. hold it the way everybody else holds it. Oh, I see. <laughs> and my friend, because she had a guitar, and then I held yeah. it the way she, like, I just held it normal. She was like, no, that is no so that's funny. wrong. Do you know what's so, that's so funny? Because I don't know why, you know how people say there's like a, personality trait or something yeah or like i don't know you're just giving me right-handed energy am i <laughs> <laughs> what is right-handed energy i, I don't, don't even know what that, that is that right-handed energy is is i don't know i think i think they say that left-handed people tend to be like more creative and like artistic yeah and then right-handed people tend to be like more analytical mm-hmm. and like lean into the, the critical thinking mm. aspects of things so i feel also especially because you studied law and you have that background so yeah. it's just giving me right-handed energy you you're know? like you're like why are you not a dancer <laughs> <laughs> why are you why are you why are you studying law exactly exactly <laughs> So yeah, that, that's so that's why I'm. No, yeah, so no, uh, no. I am. Yeah, I think I'm. Yeah, that's right. Because there's always been that perception of like creativity, especially because like yeah, I've got a few left-handed people in my family who are like very creative, like in painting and all of this. And I could never do none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was thought like yeah, I'm quite creative in my own way. Like I mm-hmm. like to write, and you know, even doing a podcast as a creative outlet. Yeah, it is. You know, but yeah. So that's my that's my left handed story. Okay. Um, but I, yeah. I have to say, I'm glad I don't live in Nigeria. Yeah. As, 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 a, as a left hand, no, because even the last time I visited, I've, I talked about this on one of my old podcasts where. The last time I visited Nigeria, which was like maybe like two, three years ago, and I went to this restaurant and I mean, I'm a customer, I'm paying you for, you know, for what I've bought. You should want my service, right? Mm -hmm. And then this girl, I'm sure, you know, when you, because me, you know, I just wear t-shirts and jeans. I'm not looking like one. I'm not trying (laughs) to prove myself. I look like one small girl. Went to the counter and paid her. And naturally, because I'm left-handed, so I just used my left hand to give her the money. And she looked at me. She was like, no, she's not going to accept it. That is so silly. She literally, I was like, and me, I don't I don't like to shout. I don't know how to yeah. be doing gra-gra, you know? Yeah. Like, because I feel like if you're going to live in Nigeria, you need to learn to do gra-gra. And I yeah. do, that's not in my nature. So this girl was like, she's not taking it. I'm almost certain I'm older than her by a few years as well. Wow. And thankfully, my my younger cousin was with me, and I just gave my cousin the money, and I just said, "You sort it out. I'm getting, I'm getting out." And I just walked out of the restaurant. I was just like, "I'm not doing this." So, so it wasn't until I got home, you know, like in that moment, I was like, ah. when I was thinking back, I was like, "I should have showed. Her. I, should, I should have told her if you don't take this money, I'm not living here, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I will exactly. take the food and everything." But I was like. You know, sometimes it's afterwards you're thinking of all the things you could have said and all the things you could have done. I was like, oh, it's not worth it. Yeah. Anyhow. 
So, yeah, but you know, speaking of the energy that you need to have, <laughs> <laughs> I need to have that bad woman's energy, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we're gonna continue talking about in today's episode. So, in the previous episode, we spoke about the film 1929 and the historical fiction drama of that, but today we want to delve into the reality of what actually happened during that time so do you want to give us a bit of background detail on that yeah so just a short synopsis about the Abba women's riot it's famously or it's commonly known as the Abba women's riot but i feel like the right way to refer to it is the Abba women's war is more Mm -hmm. like the politically correct way to refer to it so it was a war in 1929 that was led by women in the provinces of Calabar and Oweri, which is in the southern is southeastern part of Nigeria. So it's basically like the Igbo. When I was thinking of the word Igbo, I was thinking of the way Chimanda Adichie would say it's like Igbo. Yeah. Women. So in the Igbo speaking Igbo speaking region of Nigeria. And so the war was instigated or the war started because of taxation that was imposed on the women in November 1929. Mm-hmm. And the common the way the whole thing sort of started was like it started as a rumour and the, the story around it was that, you know, when the district officer they realised that they needed to tax you know, they taxed the men in the year in the previous year in nineteen twenty eight. Mm-hmm. They introduced taxation to that region. And then I think the following year they realised I, I guess especially off the back of like the Great Depression and all the stuff that was have the economic stuff that was happening in 1929 they needed more money to fund you know the british government needed more money to fund different things so how do you do that you introduce more tax to get more you know to get more more money and so in 1929 tax was introduced and apparently one of the warrant officers who were who was installed in the area as part of the governance structure had gone to like this woman i can't remember her name now but she had gone to he'd gone to a particular woman and he had said that oh he's going to count her goats and her yam and stuff and obviously the moment you start saying to somebody you're going to count their stuff that for that woman triggered that you know there was going to be taxation mm-hmm. coming up i guess because of what happened in the previous year to the to the to the men so the woman is the woman who's known to have responded to the man and said, "Oh, do you count your do you count your mother as well?" Yeah. So it was quite like an insulting, as, yeah, like for her for him to come and say he was going to count her yam and count her goat and you know all these other things, and so this kind of like sparked the the chaos and the rumor that actually we think taxation is coming for the women as well. So she, she had gone to the marketplace, which, which is usually like, you know, community of women and stuff. She'd gone there and she'd informed the market people and, you know, the news traveled, you know, very quickly that taxation, you know, they were going to be getting taxed. And this led the women to, you know, to take themselves to the, administration office and you know try to you know get confirmation of are we going to be getting taxed what's going on and they'd also actually asked for the chief of the warrant officer to be punished because of the particular way in which he he because of the way he engaged with the with the woman right and he was he was then he was actually then punished 
and because they said he, he had i think during the the tussle that happened he had you know scruffled her up and all that stuff and so he was actually in prison for two he was sent to prison for two years which mm. i found quite interesting yeah so this was the genesis of the war in a nutshell we're going to talk a bit more into like all the you know the nitty-gritty of what happened but essentially the the war is commonly known to have started because of the fact that taxation was imposed on the women in that in that region in the south in southern southeastern region of Nigeria. Yeah. And I think from that I'm going to talk about it more. There are a few questions that I'm interested in exploring or discussing. And maybe those questions bring up more questions. Mm. That's you know, and that's perfectly fine. But I think some things that I would really like to chat about with you today is like what was actually wrong with women being taxed because mm-hmm. you mentioned how she felt this this particular woman felt insulted mm-hmm. that somebody had come to ask yeah. her you know t- t- had come to account her mm-hmm. uh, her produce etc uh, and then again also you you make the distinction between riots and rebellion rebellion or you know calling it a war like why is that important why do we have to be really specific about the language that we use to describe what it is that that happened and then i think more generally just about like the legacy and the impact uh, of yeah. of the women's war mm-hmm. so so in in terms of the you know like why why was it wrong why was it deemed so offensive right to the women in the eastern region to be taxed because at at first glance as far as i'm concerned it was just it was i I was confused and bemused by it Mm -hmm. to, to be honest i didn't really understand it and it and it signaled to me that it's pointing to some like a deep moral mm-hmm. offense because especially when you think uh, how intense these uh, these these conflicts or uh, outbreaks of violence mm-hmm. occurred it's like it, it feels as though it was it was deeply it was a deeply offensive and deeply personally offensive mm-hmm. thing to tax the women i don't know what your thoughts on that if you've you thought yeah I think think to kind of understand the significance of what happened it's it'll be good to understand the 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 cultural context Mm. as well and the background of this woman prior to colonization Mm -hmm. and exactly what this woman were fighting against so was it purely just taxation or were they fighting against a wider system of governance of which taxation was one of it yeah right so with taxation in particular my so in the Igbo and obviously if any listener hears this and thinks "Hmm, that's not correct feel free to feel free to write to us and let us know but my understanding is that within that community within you know the Igbo culture a lot of the things they do are very communal Mm-hmm. They, you know, as a community, the you know everybody owns their, you know, you own your piece of land, you own, you have your own fam family. Everyone kind of tills their land. Whatever you have is yours. And when it comes to supporting, so like it was part of their culture where they would kind of like all donate stuff and support like one person in the community to maybe right. go abroad or something, and then with the hope that this one person is gonna come back and serve the rest of the community. So they probably had more of a charitable 
way of developing the economy so like mm-hmm. things were volunteer it was like a volunteer sort of approach that they had as opposed to like imposing of oh, you must right. give this and you must give that mm-hmm. uh, so that's kind of like my understanding and obviously again the thing with like taxation because in order for them to tax the people they had to do a census and know like how many men and women and also like what they own and i think there's this sort of ominous thing where it's like oh you don't count a man's properties because then it's almost like you're you're gonna introduce evil Mm. eye to my because like you don't want people to know what you have so why are you counting my goats and you're counting my sheep and Mm. you're counting my yam you're counting my children you're counting all of these things it's just not part of their culture. They don't do census like that. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's just like, I guess it's kind of like a spiritual thing for them when you think I've, evil. Yeah, and even just a little point, I feel so that there's a, you find that even in other, like, tribes in yeah. Nigeria, this idea that I'm not trying to share too much information, information. about what it is I'm doing or who I'm with. Like, yeah. you, you try and keep that information, like, close to your chest. But, yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's why, that's why I would say that's one of, probably one of the surface reasons of white taxation. But then to know further why it was so important to these people is also the other things that is attached to so the the form of governance the way because the previous year they taxed the the men Mm. and actually what i read was when the men were being when there was a census that only in the initial census was just counting the men right and at the time they hadn't indicated that it was going to be for the purposes of taxation okay so the men had been counted and all that stuff and then they were and then tax was imposed on them and although there was a slight rebellion against that from the men it wasn't as solid as what the women eventually yeah it wasn't as fervent it wasn't as fervent as what the women eventually did so i think eventually because of that initial kind of suspicion and what what you know what they'd seen done to the men i guess naturally they felt that okay this counting you're doing is only going to lead to one thing. And so I felt like they were revolting against taxation, but they were also revolting against the colonial way of governing governing them. Because again, in this community, men and women had... They had their own method of, like, governing each other. And And it wasn't, wasn't like, the roles of men and women. It wasn't... mm. it's, it's really important to understand that the way Europeans, yeah. uh, you know, divide labor or understand gender roles is completely different to the cultures in the Eastern yeah. region. It's, it's just, it's not the same. Like uh, women had a lot more uh, put yeah. agency, the contribution they made to their community and wider society was actually valued in a way that isn't, it's not yeah. valued in in European yeah society, and I guess this is one of the this is one of the downfalls of the of the colonial era, where not just in the southeastern part of Nigeria, but even in the in the in the western part as well. Like so, like for the Yoruba tribes, we talked about we've talked in the previous episode about Fumilaya and Sankuti, mm-hmm. and just like the role that women also play in that community. So you know, with the colonial introduction. They also try to enforce like certain gender uh, gender stereotypes, like this Victorian view of like what women should be like and mm. how they should conduct themselves, etc. So this was not happening within this 
cultural context for these women. So you're introducing indirect through and also with the so with the chief warrant or the warrant officers rather that they introduced to implement this taxation and to enforce the taxation. They in that culture they're not used to one person just being lord and master yeah. over everybody. Yeah. You know it's really in Igbo culture it's like a it's a republic. Yeah. Is that's that's the governing structure they have. So it's yeah it's whereas this is 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 centralized like one one person is dictating from monarch all the way down yeah, to yeah and what that also enables is that it enables corruption and dysfunctionality where you've like where so much power is concentrated to one person because that was also part of the things that the women were complaining about in addition to the fact that they were being taxed is the fact that this warrant chief and the native court system that they had you know they were largely corrupt and dysfunctional because there wasn't that input from mm. the community and everything exactly. and it was just right. like it was top down mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a more kind of like you know killer system so the imposition of the warren chief system and you know all of that the political the political failings and economic slum and also again it was just that the women were also feeling the economic because you know I, i think you'd mentioned previously about you know in the wider context of the economic happenings in the world yeah, which like 1929 you know the great depression and stuff so like palm palm kernel yeah i think that's how you say it was one of the it's almost like how oil is like a massive commodity mm-hmm. you know that was discovered in nigeria in the 1960s like palm kernel was a massive commodity that was used for a lot of things you know in the west by britain and just generally so like you know palm kernels were used for like soap making they were used for uh, what you call it like as lubricants yeah and stuff so where you've got the industrial revolution and they were using this oil for all of those things so right. there was an inflation mm-hmm. of everything things were costly and the women were not getting enough they were not they felt like they were not being well remunerated for their produce that was being used so i think to simplify the women's war as just because of the imposition of tax of taxation i think it would be to like overly simplify the war mm-hmm. and you know it would be really good to kind of look at the to acknowledge the wider context of it i think additionally to that i think the 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 other reasons you mentioned about the anti-colonial nature of the the protest and the revolt are really important because what is so often done and and something that i naturally do when when reviewing history and especially reviewing colonial nigeria is i'm looking through it with a post-colonial lens mm. and it's, it's very tempting and easy to try and place these women in a narrative that is implying or giving them a, a giving them a different reason for uh, for revolting than what would actually what they actually wanted. So, I think there's an essay actually that you shared with me, written uh, by Emma Davis, and who who studied this this point in history, and she highlighted in the es- her essay that some colo- anti-colonial or post-colonial writers make the mistake of trying to say that these women were protesting to try and bring about 
to they were they were protesting in light of wanting a national mm. of nationalism. Yes, and and it, it can be easy to do that, especially when so many of the writings are uh, were were made in in review in in studying that time during during national. Mm. National, well, there was a, a movement a for movement. nationalism. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there was a movement for nationalism, but I think that's that's something that is is really important important to stem away from. I think you mentioned in the previous episode as well. Yes, there's women empowerment, but actually, the women's empowerment does not necessarily equal feminism, or no, you know, it's it's, it's it shouldn't be codified yeah. as that. And so I think with this with this protest or with this vault it's making that distinction between yes they were challenging the colonial powers at the time but not for the purpose or reason of we want to you know unite nigeria or we want to see unite nigeria united against the british it's more if anything it's it's anti-colonial yes in that we don't want the British here yeah. bringing in their form of governance, mm-hmm. but it's it's to the degree of we want our Igbo culture, we want our ethnic exactly. culture, we want we want we want to govern ourselves yeah. the way we have historically governed ourselves, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's an important, I think that's an important nuance yeah. to the conversation or review of yeah. this uh, period of time because I I, I tend to do I, and I I tend well actually. I don't tend to do it often. I am quite reticent is the word, I think, or reticent anyway, to put on, to, to give political philosophies to women of a certain period of time yeah. that we would experience today, mm-hmm. which I think, I think people tend to do. They tend yeah. to look back on in history and people want to look at like, for example, in one of our first episodes, Queen Amina, feminist icon it's like she wasn't a feminist icon she was just doing what she did yeah she just (laughs) doing what she had to do you know so that's something that was like yeah want to avoid doing yes we may use that language but it's not it's not what they they would have not not necessarily they were not thinking in that line and that's a really important point that you've made because one of the one of the stuff I read and which I kind of agree with the line of thinking is about the you know when when the the protest has been written about and talked about, they talk about the the, the way the women protested naked and mm-hmm. the sort of like nudity that they unleashed on the British, <laughs> <laughs> on the colonial administrators, and how this was quite a shocking thing for them because you know their their views are shaped by this image of like Victorian femininity as you know as opposed to, that is really confined within like domestic space and you mm-hmm. know tangible fragility and you know but these are women who were like traders and you know they're very active and involved in the community and they're coming and they're really being outspoken and it's that's just who they are it's not because because i guess with like fem- feminism it's almost like this anti this is almost like there was a shift at a time in history where women like where British women or Western women revolted against the modes that they were being, you know, put in mm-hmm. and this created this whole thing. But then you have this community in other parts of the world where it's like, this is how we've always been mm. and this is who we've always been. Right. And so you can't like like you've rightly said, don't them, put that narrative, don't put that narrative around them. 
and yeah and you know i'll just read out something i something that was written that i read where it says the excess of bodily forces that this nude female warriors unleashed nevertheless could not be comprehended by colonial administrators whose ideas about gender were shaped by the victorian image of femininity as confined to domestic space fragile and thus in need of male protection Mm. so it was just like really hard for them to comprehend and i think when i you were asking the question earlier on doing as we started about you know this language of like riot and rebellion like is there really a difference you know what's the what is there is it worth making a distinction between the two and i think to a large extent although both languages kind of seem similar in essence it's like okay a rebellion a riot mm. a war <laughs> it's, it's like it's like all one and the same but i think in part of the literatures that i read they try to make a distinction in the way that the british in the way that the, the british try to form this narrative of like riots where a riot is almost more like an illegitimate Mm. Uh, form of protest like or you know like a violent illegitimate has no basis has no moral standing as opposed to like a rebellion because if you use the language of rebellion then the focus would then be on what is it they're rebelling against right what is the what what are they rebelling against and so it shifts the focus back on actually the instigator of the rebellion as opposed to the people protesting the you know protesting the the whatever it is so yeah i think i think there's a slight difference in that yeah it kind of like took the moral the british were able to kind of have a moral covering for themselves by using the language of riot as opposed to a rebellion or a Mm. war i that's that's kind of like how i think it is and some some of the other narratives and some of the other writers have have, you know framed the conversation Mm. in that way as well and i think there is something to it because you know they always say that the victor in any history is the one who's just you know the person who gets the right the history really they, they write it from their own lens and they tell they get to tell the story how they want to tell it yeah and, and yeah. but what i really like and what i'm encouraged by is the fact that you know these rebellions these wars are being studied mm-hmm. and they're being taken seriously and and the buyers the uh, i was going to say pleadings but that, that sounds a bit like powerless but the <laughs> what's the demands mm. of, of these women are being taken seriously and that these women are being recognised as legitimate points of interest in their own right. Yeah. And not just... They're not, you know, a paragraph in somebody else's story, but this is... The the culture, they, they, are, uh, they are interesting enough to be studied Mm -hmm. and i think uh, i think what i'm interested in again is learning more about what this frustration this anger says about the beliefs and traditions of the tribes in that area that's what piques my interest more actually if if anything the the colonial discussion and narrative not becomes boring because I think that that always needs to be investigated. Mm-hmm. But really what we want for ourselves is to under, understand ourselves more and understand our, ourselves better. And I think more and more these days, whenever I'm reading post-colonial like 
papers or anything. I'm really, I, I really want to, I think there was a time when I viewed, I, I was interested in post-colonial theory and papers in and of itself, mm-hmm. uh, rather than being interested in, in the subject matter. But I'm, I'm using, you know, the, the, the papers that we've read in preparation for this episode really as a way to ask questions about who, who are these people and why are their traditions and cultures important to them? What is it about the thing that they're, they're protesting against? Yes. What does that say about their, their beliefs, their yeah. system, the way they view the world, how they understand true and right things? Yeah. That's like a far more like exciting and interesting yeah. thing for me. Yeah. So, but those of our listeners who, from the the tribes in the region where these women were protesting, like, please let us know like, why, you know, why was it su- such an abominable thing for women to be taxed. taxed? Yeah, and I think even the name of the you know it's been suggested that the name of the war itself is quite misleading because it says the Abba Women's War but mm. it, it limits the geographical area for the war to Abba but it mm. was actually like there were Ibibio women there were other, there were quite it covered quite a a large geographical sphere Yeah. Um, so now some people just refer to that as the Women's War of 1929 but so speaking about this women and their legacy really like you've rightly said because it's actually worth just studying them on their own outside of the colonial narrative that mm. has been imposed sometimes what do you think are the legacy like firstly what was the result of their protest was it successful did they achieve what they set out to to achieve i think in terms of i, I suppose when i think of legacy Hmm, that's a that's an interesting question because, as mentioned before, I, people view them with a lens that tries to fit them into a a united Nigeria uh, like story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel as though I think so. I think one of the sad things is that their 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 actual story and their demands have been like co-opted into something that wasn't necessarily there so there's some like agency that's been taken mm-hmm. from them which I, I i don't like um but in terms of of what the women actually achieved i think it was impressive because they and and the tactics they used mm-hmm. to protest so one example was that they would sit on the men you know or they would take the cap from I think I think they took the caps of, of the warrant officers. I think like reading about the tactics that they used and, and quite frankly the violence that yeah. they used and and reading some of the comments from the commission papers that followed on from the rise in nineteen thirteen, their determination and, and resolution in saying that if we are taxed, we will fight to the death. They yeah. they, they were quite explicit yeah in states that we're not afraid of death yeah. you know like you're not going to tax us and that is just so impressive yeah and it it tells me and reminds me that we are that 
women in Nigeria, uh, they really do set pace, you know, <laughs> like they really do, uh, they, they really do, they're, they're just a, a force to be reckoned with and you can't take them lightly and actually that there is that we have to i think for me one of the lessons from reading about this is that we have to consciously uh, put away what our assumptions are about how patriarchy works or, or, or how gender roles work or just how like men and women mm-hmm. are viewed and what their contribution is to mm-hmm. Uh, to society and actually remember from from moments like this in history that we're we're not docile and we're we're not our own culture respects us Mm -hmm. our own cultures value our contribution Mm -hmm. and so we shouldn't let this posed ideals determine the way we interact with one another like let's not it's been disturbed let's let's go back to it and review it yeah and um, i guess i guess with, you make a really valid point because that just kind of like cuts i i was casting my mind back to a few years ago where you know i was reading about women in like women in the western culture maybe back in like 1800s and 1700s and and all of them times and just like it for me their lives were just so different from what i knew of like because one can fall into the trap of just viewing womanhood as this kind of like one thing it's like oh all women are like this and mm. it's really important to understand the cultural context in which the women that you're talking about or wherever in the world that they live in. Mm -hmm. So where you have like British women in the Victorian era or wherever where, you know, some of them, they couldn't, they didn't work or they were just meant to be home and look after the children. And, and I was just like, no, like even in Africa, from my understanding and even from the little that I know of in recent times, the women, even if they were mostly at home, they were still doing some sort of trade from home mm. and they were doing stuff so for me when people try to fit in this all kind of like victorian femininity and stereotype of like what being a female should be i do feel like sometimes a lot of like western imposition of like the western female and even though now we're you know i don't know what to say fortunately or unfortunately because like the westernization of everything means mm. that the the similarities are just getting closer and closer right, yeah. so it's and like adopting now, it more we're adopting a lot of westernization where it's now it's not very different to actually say what is us and what is just what are the things that we're actually adopting mm-hmm. um, from the west but going back to speaking about the legacy of this women and what they achieved during the war so we know that they were not just fighting for themselves they also fought for the for the men as well but i think you know the the, the men the taxation of men continued however the British came to realise that actually they they couldn't tax this women. And so they that led them to drop in their plans of mm. taxing the women. And so in that sense, one could say that their protest or the, the war was successful. And also, again, like we said, it wasn't just a riot against taxation, but about the powers that the Warren Chiefs were, that was delegated to the Warren Chiefs. And because at the time, women were not put in those positions. So eventually they they had more women who were Mm. being, you know, put in this position as Warren Chiefs. And there was sort of more, 
I wouldn't call it democratic, but it was it became co- more egalitarian. It, yeah, yeah, and so they they kind of like had to find a middle ground, I suppose. I don't know how successful it was eventually, but I think in the immediate term they were able to at least be satisfied, and you know, because the war was quite short term, was like between November nineteen twenty nine to December nineteen twenty nine. Yeah. However, the aftermath of that, you know, the kind of reinforcements and mm-hmm. the ongoing development and an introduction of better system was ongoing for many more years after that. But yeah, so it was really it, it was a powerful it was a powerful event and it was really it's a really noteworthy one you know to talk about and yeah we're glad that it came into our into our views and we've been happy to discuss it yeah and hopefully now there's someone out there who knows more about the abba women's war i call it abba women's but the women's war of 1929 which happened in the southeastern part of nigeria yeah so I'm very glad to learn about this point of history. I'm glad you made us watch the film. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't watched the film, in case you've just jumped straight into this episode, you know, do listen to the previous episode where we reviewed the film 1929, which was an attempt at, you know, storytelling about the event and let us know what you think. Yeah, but I'm, I'm glad, yeah, to have learned more about this and just taking a moment to remember that uh, these women are worth studying Mm. for because they are worth you know studying so i'm glad we're speaking about it i hope our listeners are glad that that we're speaking about (laughs) it (laughs) and i hope you will share you will share that you know share the episode if you've enjoyed it if you found it useful informative uh, spread the news but thank you for listening thank you until next time until next time ciao ciao So guys, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and learnt a thing or two. Yep, you can find our episodes on Spotify, YouTube, Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to keep up with us in between episodes, you can follow us on Instagram at onceuponaniger. You can also find links to some further reading and information about the episode's topic in the show notes. If you want to encourage, collaborate or, as I like to say, support the ministry, drop us an email at onceuponaniger at gmail.com. Bye for now. Bye.